Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Anchor Church Podcast. It is our desire at the Anchor to provide a place for you to know God, find freedom, discover your God-given purpose, and ultimately make a difference in the world around you. Each week, the Anchor Podcast features Sunday sermons. To hear this live and before subscribers do, join us in Rockport, Maine on Sunday mornings at 10 for worship and before that at 845 for prayer service. You can follow along in this podcast episode and read the sermon notes on our website by visiting theanchor.me. Now, let's get into the Word. Today, I, I kind of want to, maybe say it this way, every now and then I like to, I like to share a message that kind of gets back to the heart of things. And, uh, you know, that kind of brings you back to, to the core, kind of brings you back to what's most important. Today will definitely be one of those days. So I just want us to really open up our hearts today. You know, this is going to be super basic. If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, you're probably like, yeah, I've heard that. I've lived that. But sometimes I think it's, it's good to be reminded. For those that haven't walked with Jesus that long, this is a really great thing, you know, to maybe to add to your life. In fact, if I could say it this way, this morning of prayer, I, I walked by Cheryl, and Cheryl was praying a scripture out of Isaiah that says, you know, even if you go to the right or to the left, basically you'll hear a voice saying, this is the way, walk in it. And so I would like to say maybe today that what we're about to say, this is the way, walk in it. Fair enough, because it's God's word and it's true. So let's pray and uh, we'll begin. So, Father, thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for every person that's in the house today. Lord, thank you for just uh, your hand being upon their life. Thank you for just their heart to, that desires to serve you, that desires to love you. Father, we realize that to even be here to be a Christian in this state, God, is a significant thing. God, so many people are going the other way. And, Lord, the people here are definitely saying, man, I'm swimming up river. I'm swimming opposite of what everybody else is doing. And so, Lord, thank you for just their stand to love you and adore you, their stand to just believe what they believe. And, God, we just ask today that you would, uh, that you would add to our life just more things of the kingdom, just more things of, of just from heaven. God, more things of the covenant today. Father, thank you for speaking to us. Holy Spirit, thank you for just lifting any limitations off of our thinking, any limitations off our faith. Lord, just help us to believe and help us to step in to greater things, the things that you've called us to walk in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to actually share with you about one of my favorite Bible characters, and that's David. You know, for many people inside and outside the church, when they think about David, they simply think about this this young shepherd boy that, you know, that burst onto the scene, you know, when he killed Goliath. But I personally believe that when we take a step back and kind of take an overview of David's life, we find out that, you know, he's so much more than just that. Right. You know, certainly when we look at David's life, we don't see a perfect man. But what we do see is a man that possessed a lot of great qualities. And it's those great qualities that we're going to highlight today that I believe that are worth, you know, all of us emulating. And so anyways, let me kind of give you a few of those things just for foundation. I'm going to take a few minutes, lay down a foundation just so we can really get a grasp of the things we're going to talk about at the end. So here's a few of the qualities that intrigue me personally about David's life. We, we all know that, that David was a courageous kid that ended up, you know, growing into a warrior. We know that he had a pure heart that desired to please God. In fact, we, we see in Psalms 24 that he said, Who shall ascend into the Lord? Uh, to the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Only he who has clean hands. And can you say, with a pure heart? Pure heart. 
I'll communicate better. He also said in Psalms 119, verse 9, he said, How may a young man or an old man or a young woman or an old woman basically live pure? He said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We know that David was a worshiper that loved the presence of God. In fact, we see in Psalms 27, I love this verse. It says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, one thing, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. What a fantastic verse, right? We know that David had a deep desire for God's word. We know he had a deep respect for God's house. We know that he consistently sought God's counsel before he acted. We know that he feared God, that he treasured wisdom, that he was patient when when it came to uh, God's will and God's timing. We know he was faithful. We know that he was loyal to others, even to his own hurt. We know that he endured and persevered through great suffering. We know that he handled betrayal like no one, no one else probably ever. It was amazing. We know that you know, he knew how to mourn, that he, he was broken, that he was humble, that he was teachable. I'm just trying to give you a picture here of this guy. He wasn't a man pleaser, but he was a guy that you know, desired to please God. And I like this, that he knew how to get up after he fell. You know, is that not the guy who said a righteous man falls seven times, yet he gets up, right? In other words, this, he knew how to repent. I like that guy, right? I, I, what I like about David is David was emotional. He was raw. He was authentic. In other words, he didn't just, he didn't just get the company line, you know, just, you know, just regurgitate it. I love the fact that he wore his heart on the sleeve and he wrote about it, right? You know, I like the fact that, that David was a gatherer of people and he even accepted those that were considered outcasts in society. I love the fact that he was approachable, that he was a leader that possessed great vision and great strategy. I love the fact that he stewarded the kingdom well. Right, And I love the fact that he stewarded the kingdom with an open hand. And what I mean by that is uh, he realized that God gave it to him, and if God wanted to take it from him, he was fine with that too. So often we do this. <laughs> right? And, and if I could say this, hopefully all that makes sense to you, but this might sound cheesy, but I think what I like about David the most, if I could sum it up in one sentence is this, is that he was human in every sense of the word. He was just a, he was just a normal dude. Right? And I think when you read the writings of David, it's real easy to see. In fact, you read them and you go, I felt like that before. I feel like that right now, right? I want to break something too. I want to scream, right? Anyways, so, so are you guys awake today? Yeah. All right, just checking. Anyways, listen, I know the, 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 the Patriots playing the Dolphins, but look, we got time, all right? So just hang in there with me, all right? So li- listen, if I could, you know, once again, just building a foundation, if I could add four verses to that list of things. I know that was a lot, and I just kind of want you to get a picture, but if there was four verses that I automatically think about when I think about David's life, it's these. 1 Samuel 16, 7. Most people in the room know this. This was before David was anointed as king. It says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. It says, The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Thank God for that. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Speaking of David's heart, the Bible says this in Acts 13, 22. It says that after God removed Saul, that he made David their king, and he testified concerning him. In other words, this is what God said about David. Profound. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And listen to that last part. He will do everything I want him to do. Not 90%, not 50%, not 30%, not, you know, 75% if it's a good day, but he will do everything that I want him to do. And then this verse is kind of off the beaten path, but Acts 13, 36, it says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation... In fact, I love how one translation says it says that he served his generation, that he fell asleep, 
and was laid. Or in other words, he was died and buried among his fathers. I, you know, I just love the fact that, that God is once again, and it, you know, if I can say this, people have a lot of opinions of us, but God knows our heart. Right? And that's what I like about David and all of his screw-ups and all of his mess-ups. Man, God still knew his heart. Amen? So, listen, before we read the fourth verse, I, I want to hit the pause button for a second. And I, I want to just say this, that when we look at that long list there of David's qualities, when we read those three verses that we just read, I think it's important for us to understand that David didn't arrive there overnight. In other words, he didn't, you know, go to bed one night, completely opposite of everything that we just talked about, and wake up the next morning, eat the breakfast of champions, and voila, became this amazing guy, right? In other words, obviously there was a process that David had to go through. Somebody say process. He had to go through this process to become the man that we all admire. In fact, if you're taking notes today, just a simple point, write this down, please. Put on your mirror at home as a reminder, but this, that men and women of God aren't born They are developed over a, and I stress, a significant amount of time. That men and women of God aren't born. In other words, they just don't poof, and there they are. They're developed. Amen? So so turn to your neighbor. Just kind of help them out today because they may have a hard time believing this. But just say these words to them. Say, uh, there are. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, there are no shortcuts to the throne. And that's so true, man, that there's no shortcuts to the throne, right? There's, in other words, uh, you know, people have mentioned a lot with David, but there's this, uh, there's training to reigning, right? There's a training that must happen. So I also feel like it's important to attach this thought to that, that over the years I have personally met so many Christians who believe that all the guy like David has to do or a gal like David has to do is this, is live on autopilot, And basically that when their time comes, man, the gates are just going to fling wide open for them. And with little to no effort of their own, they will become the quote-unquote king. You know, it's kind of like they think that they're the golden child or they do this. Let me maybe even preface it, what I feel that's in some people's mindsets in this room. That they look at people that God is using and they have this victim mentality that thinks those people are golden child. And they don't realize that here's the, here's the disconnect. That this person that's not whatever they think that they should be or what they you know, are jealous about is they haven't been willing to pay the price to do what they need to do so God could use them like the way he's using another person. Is that so true? So, so listen, there is, no, there is no let's coast along in Christianity. Right? In other words, it's not this, we don't sit back and wait for this great spiritual magic moment or this big spiritual break to come. Uh, it just doesn't happen that way. Can I get an amen? amen. In fact, I, I think that kind of thinking, if, you know, just trying to help you today, that kind of thinking couldn't be any further from the truth. It couldn't be. In fact, let me show you a verse, and, and when I read it, you're going you're to say that I've been uh, talking out two sides of my mouth, that I'm saying that something's wrong here, but... Just be patient. Here we go. So 1 Kings 11.34. This is my fourth verse that I automatically think about when I think about David. It says this in verse 34. It says, but I will not take the entire kingdom from Solomon at this time. This is basically when, when uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, was, was rebelling. Okay, you can go read it in context. But he says this. He says, for the sake of my servant David, the one whom I what? The one whom I chose and who, or as another translation says, that he chose because he obeyed my commands and decrees. Now, I realize that the word chose there can be misleading because it looks like, once again, that David was on autopilot and God just, okay, now's your time, bloom, here it is. 
But, but when you actually look at what the Hebrew word is there, you, you find out that that's not the case at all. The Hebrew word that was used there is actually this. It's bachar, bachar. And I know, you know, Pastor Brian and I are, are Hebrew and Greek scholars, so, you know, don't quote it like we quite quote it. But anyways, bachar. But anyways, it describes this. Get this picture, okay? That it describes the kind of choosing that is made when more than one item, or in this case, person, is examined. Get that. The kind of choosing that is made when more than one item or one person is examined with only one being selected. In other words, let me put that in plain English. When God decided to replace Saul as king of Israel, he carefully examined several candidates and he chose David. That's what that means. So just kind of a thought for you here is, is I, I want us to see this, that just when it comes to our relationship with God, things aren't always as automatic as we would like to think. You, you know, we all, I want us to see that we all have a part to play. And uh, this may sound strong, but, but the part that we play in our everyday life has the ability to either qualify or disqualify us. And, and this is usually decided by how we decide we will spiritually, mentally, and emotionally develop and conduct our lives. I'll say it again. It's decided by how we spiritually, mentally, and emotionally develop and conduct our lives. You, you know, there's this thing that I, I think when, if I'm going to be really honest with you today, I, you know, you guys know I didn't grow up in church. And when I became born again, started going to church, I was amazed by how many people that went to church, said that they were Christians, and, and they just kind of were just satisfied with the fact that they were going to go to heaven one day. You, you know, it's, it's like, um, this, this is going to sound really silly, but, but it's like, you know, I, I like sports. I've told you guys that plenty, right? So, it, you, you know, who wants, to be, who wants to be on the team and not get to play? But that's that mentality. It's like, it's like they're, they're happy that they got a jersey, Right? My mom bought me a helmet, bought me some pads, and I wear them occasionally and look in the mirror of my room. You, you know, it's like they're happy with that. But, man, I'm like, you, you know, that whole, man, put me in the game, coach. Right? In, in other words, there's that thing that now I just can't understand what, why we just go, man, I'm content with this. You, you know, me personally, and this may be wrong, but me personally, I have decided to live with the posture of being basically satisfied with being unsatisfied. And meaning this, that God, there's so much more. Yeah, and, and I'm not, and I'm not, you know, I'm not, once again, I understand there's a process, I understand that love is patient, I understand all those things that God's patient with me, but, but you know, I've never in my 21 years of walking with Jesus now have went, okay, I'm good. Amen? So, so I pretty much said all that to say this, and we're going to kind of shift gears here, but I believe that if, that if we want to be the, the type of men or the type of women that God examines and ultimately chooses to fulfill his purpose on this earth, then there's four essential things that we can glean from David's life to help in this endeavor. In fact, let me maybe pause for a minute. I feel like I need to say something. Let me, let me give you an example here, and then we'll repeat that. For you guys that are sitting in the room right now and you're struggling with the fact that, that God uh, basically surveys a few people and chooses one let me kind of give you an example pastor brian and i and jen and and uh you know noah micah you know all these guys shania all of us we were in the church in north carolina for years and years and years and years and and something really unique happened it happened actually before i got there i was on staff there for 14 years but 
one day, basically, you know, our pastor was pastoring a church, and a really big church in, in Dallas, Texas, and God called him to leave an 8,000-member church to go basically start a church in, in someone's living room. And, and he said yes. And thank God he said yes. And so he started with 12 folks in a living room. Then we went basically, you know, on, on the worst spot in town called uh, the Merck. Murchison Road and planned a church. You know, basically that's where it began to grow. I think it grew uh, this before both of us got there. So I think maybe like 300 people, something like that. And and then basically they decided to build a building that could house basically about 550 people. And in a month they had to go to two services. It just blew up and it went to thousands of people. But uh, one one thing that was interesting when we were still in that building. There was a Sunday, basically, pastor preached. There was an altar call. We prayed for a bunch of people. And this man walked up to pastor, and he had some plans in his hand, like basically paper, right, like blueprints in his hand. And, uh, and the guy was just weeping and crying. And when pastor began to talk to him, the guy, long story short, unfolded this plan, and the plan was the very building that we built, and, and that the guy said, God spoke to me and gave me a vision 15 years ago, whatever it was, and told me to pastor, that I was going to pastor a church here, but because of fear, I didn't do it. You with me? And, and so, and so what's, here's what's so amazing, though. When, when a person doesn't step up, God doesn't abort his plan. He just moves another piece. You, you know, listen, I don't, I don't claim to understand all of that. I think it's impossible, but I've seen it, right? And I can tell you other stories that go along with that. So anyways, just a thought here. But once again, if you and I are going to be people that, you know, basically I, that, that has a yes in their heart that doesn't want somebody else to have to have to take our place because we were afraid or whatever, then there's four essential things that, that we need to grab here from David's life. And I'll just say it this way, that these are four things that God used to, to shape, to mold, to train, to develop, build, prepare, whatever you want to use, uh, basically, that God used to help David become the mighty man he became. And I think he wants to use this for us, okay? Now, let me maybe say this to you real quick. For three years, I've been wanting to tell you what I'm about to tell you. And I haven't felt released, and it's super simple. You know, before we even came here, I was like, man, at some point I want to share this. And not until, I don't know, a few days ago, I was like, I felt the release too. So let's just grab a hold of it. Some of you guys are going to relate to it pretty easy. You've already lived it. Some of you guys are about to step into it. Here we go. So the first thing that God used in David's life was this. Number one was this. It was solitude. In other words, it was being alone. Solitude, being alone. That sounds fun, doesn't it? So I want you to think about this for a second, though. Once again, if we want to become the man of God or the woman of God, then we have to say solitude, okay? So think about this for a second. How many days and how many nights would David have spent alone out in the field attending his father's sheep? Possibly a whole lot, right? Now, now I would like to propose to you that it was there in the solitude that David learned how to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. They learned how to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That it was there that he learned, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And if there's any verse you want to attach to this section, I believe it was there that David learned to be still and know that he is God. You see, this is where I believe that David learned how to rest and recover. That he learned how to wait upon the Lord. That he learned how to hear the whispers of God. In fact, I believe that this is where he learned how to hear God's voice, discern God's voice above all others, and maybe to value God's voice in his presence above all else. Are you all with me today? 
I believe this is where David learned how to worship. Key word here, with freedom. With freedom. In fact, I, you know, I dare to say this, that, that if you want to be a person that, that learns how to worship with freedom, then it starts in the closet. Amen. And, and if I can maybe sum up this little section here, I believe that it was in solitude that David learned how to love God. Maybe even change it to love his God. To love his God. If you want to, go look at the difference. Saul said, basically, it was Samuel's God. David said, it is my God. In fact, he said, I have sinned against you, God, and God alone. My God, right? So here's my point, okay? Is that, family, I believe we're being honest today that many of us are addicted to busy. Say it again, that we are addicted to busy. Okay? That it's this, that, that we don't know how to stop and we don't know how to call the time out. You know, it's always funny when I get around people and it's like when it gets quiet, they get, they get agitated. They, can't, they, they get anxious. They don't know what to do. It's kind of comical, to be honest with you. But, but, but it's like so often our lives resemble, and I don't know if you've ever seen it, but that, uh, you know, that, that lady that's holding the sticks and she's spinning all the plates. And she's trying to keep them all spinning or we look like a juggling act. That's the way we look when we're trying to traverse through our busy schedules. Right? Let me, let me just keep all this up and hopefully nothing falls. Anybody ever been there? Yeah. Yes? So, so listen, it's because of that God is in a daily competition with our schedules. Please don't miss that. He is in a daily competition. Did you ever think that God would have to compete with anything in your life? That, that day when you came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I give you it all. Ten years later, he's competing with everything. Right? It's, it's, he's competing with your work schedule. He's competing with your networking, your family time, your sports events. Uh, he's competing with the crowd. Y'all hear me today? It's like this. If you're a teenager, please listen to this. But it's like he's competing with every ding and every alert from your phone. Right? In fact, I, I, saw, I heard something the other day. Jen and I were listening to this parenting podcast and they said this that that basically on the average right now from coast to coast in the united states that teenagers are averaging 52 hours a week on their phones that's insane once again it's 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 responding to phone calls text messages uh snapchat checking instagram facebook playing those little games and i'm not saying those things are wrong i'm not saying i've never done any of them but but they live on it in fact, if you want to find out if you're addicted or not, see if you can put it away for a week. In fact, it, you know, the thing that I listened to is said that a kid actually said, I don't know if I can live without my phone. One kid even said this, I sleep with my phone because it brings me comfort. So I put it under my pillow. You have a problem. So why am I saying all this? And, and it could be a whole host of other things. We're not picking on kids, but listen, uh, you know, adults were just as guilty. It, it could be entertainment in our lives. It could be Fox News. It could be CNN. It could be ESPN, right? But, but it's simply this, is that, that all this busyness, it, once again, it, it's, it's like too easily we live. We live our lives basically unintentionally suffocating the presence of God from our lives, right? So, so... Kind of the point here is this, and we'll throw it up here, but there's just certain things. This is why solitude is important. There's just certain things in our spiritual lives that cannot be developed as long as we stay on the go, in the crowd, or distracted. Yes? So, so you know, I'm going to tell you what I have to tell myself, that we can't believe the lie that we don't have time for God. 
right? And so, you know, even just a challenge, if you think I'm crazy here, for the next week, just simply write down what you do and how long you did it. And see if you can carve out time for Jesus. And truth is, is all of us in this room would find out how much useless time we waste. Right? So I want to ask you today, how's your solitude? How's your solitude? I'm going to ask you, when was the last time you, you just got still and knew he was God? And... Once again, got quiet before the Lord, didn't ask for anything, uh, just listened to his voice. And, and I say that because, man, it's just that reassuring the thought that this, that there's not a problem that we will never, you know, that we will ever face in our lives that the voice of God is not the solution for. None. Not a single one. In fact, it, it's this, I, you know, I, man, I just love to worship personally. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, once again, it's, all, it's always about stretching our capacity with God. And, when, you know, and don't hear this. I'm not talking about works and, and checking this box and that box. That, that's, that's bondage, okay, and that's legalism. I'm talking about just enjoying hanging out with the king. Yeah, that, that God is really your best friend, that he is your lover, that he is all those things that the Bible says, right? He's your daddy, your papa, your Abba God, right? Abba Father. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. Second thing that God used in David's life. First one was solitude. Second one is obscurity. Meaning this, that God used basically when David was unknown and unimportant to develop him into who he became. So think about this for a second. On the day that the prophet Samuel rolled into Bethlehem, right, with his horn of oil to anoint one of Jesse's boys as next king of Israel, David wasn't even invited to the show. Right, Jesse was running the, the, the dog and pony show, trying to look at this kid, look at this kid, look at this kid, and David wasn't even invited, right? And, and it's like this, it's like God had to say no to seven of Jesse's other sons before anyone even gave David, uh, uh, you know, the slightest of thought. Why? It's because of this, and don't miss this, Bible backs this up, but he was to them unimportant, unknown, unseen, unappreciated, and unapplauded. So where was David at? David was enjoying his solitude. <laughs> you can enjoy it. Amen? He was enjoying his solitude, and he was bracing his obscurity. In fact, I, I love this about David, and I want to read a verse to you today, a few verses actually, but, but it's, it's here in 1 Samuel 16. I just like the way it says it. It's, uh, verse 10 kind of goes with what we're talking about here. It says, Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. It says, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Get this, obscurity. Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. He's over there. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. That'll preach. It says, so he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes, and good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. Get that, the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For this is the one that Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers. You know, that was, you know, stirred of the competitive spirits among siblings. It says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Pretty awesome, huh? Now, here's why I say that. In fact, let me just kind of add this. 
it is, you know, Josephus, the, you know, the basically the Jewish historian, actually said that when, that when Samuel anointed David, that David, because he was out in the field, he missed all the shenanigans, right? That he actually had to lean down and, and whisper in David's ear, this means you'll be king one day. That's awesome. But what did he do? Watch this. Here's what's so beautiful. Here's what I like about David. There's so many lessons when you read between the lines. He gets anointed as king, and David doesn't go, Gather the crowd, get the band, get the chariots. Come on, let's go through town. I'm going to tell everybody they got to bow. I'm the next king of Israel. Right? What did he do? He went back to the sheep. Wow, right? So here's the thing. It's it's this, that, that he just went back to his solitude. He kept tending the sheep. He kept living in obscurity until the father decided to promote him. And, and I'll just say this, there's, there's things I want to say today that I don't have time, but, but if when God wants you somewhere, he can get really creative in how to get you there. Yeah. Think about it, here's David, obviously in the field, playing his little harp, doing his thing, and then the king one day, right, has an evil spirit that's tormenting you, and somebody just knows. Hey, there's this guy, skilled musician, good looking, handsome, prudent speech, gifted warrior, right, all these things. Bring him in. God, God has his way of creativity. Right, that he knows how to get you where he needs to get you. And so, anyways, I think this: Why could David go back to the flock? Why could he go back to the sheep? Is because I think David realized something we easily forget, and I just kind of allude to it. But this: that God never loses sight of us; that, that He never forgets us. That He knows exactly where to find us. He hasn't lost our telephone number. He knows. He still knows our address. Right? That that when He wants to shift something in our lives, once again, He knows how to get the job done. Amen. So let me just say this to us here. I think, and, and, and we could, you know, many of us in this room could really contribute a lot to this little section here, but obscurity happens in our lives when people don't know us and they don't know our hearts. And, and I think one of the, one of the telltale signs that, that you're going through obscurity is when your heart is continually misinterpreted. My opinion. Okay, but, but I think this, that it happens, in other words, obscurity happens in our lives when we feel like God's pulled us out of the game and he sat us on the bench for a while. When we feel isolated from our calling, our dream, our vision. When we feel isolated even from our friends. When we feel like everyone is running and we're standing still, like, man, we're not getting anywhere. We're absolutely stuck, right? That we're not progressing, we're not moving forward. We're not accomplishing the things that we had hoped for. Anybody ever been there? Listen, that, that I've learned that it's during those times that it's this, that, that, that God is more concerned with who we are than what we're doing. And if I could say it this way, that God is more concerned with what he is trying to do in us than what we are trying to do for him. God doesn't need us as much as we think he does. Amen? So, l- listen, I'm not going to lie to you, though, that, that there's one thing about obscurity Man, it is, it is painful and it is lonely. Yes? But, but, but I think this, um, that it's here in this struggle called obscurity, I think this is where David learned how to endure. And in fact, I'll say it this, that, it, that it's where David learned, and I'm hoping that we learned in obscurity, that we learned to trust God with all of our heart. Lean not on our understanding. Acknowledge him in all of our ways. And guess what? That he would direct our paths. I think it's where David learned that a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. I think it's where David learned that the steps of a righteous man are ordered. I think it's where David learned that the approval of God will always outweigh the approval and the applause of man. Right? I, I will tell you guys, listen, I have got this. 
it ain't worth nothing. Okay? It's not. The same people that I've had tell me, man, that's the best sermon I ever had in my life, left in a few weeks. Right? So the thing that you have to do is you have to go, well, God, did I please you? Do I have your approval? Did I honor you? And as long as you live in that spot, it's a whole lot safer. Amen? A whole lot less hurt in it, too. So, listen, I just want to ask you today, how's your obscurity going? How's your obscurity? Hopefully this is making sense. So the first one was solitude. The second one was obscurity. The third thing that David, uh, that God used in David's life was this. It was monotony. It's monotony. And this is the tedious repetition and routine. In other words, it's the everyday process. I want you to think about this for a second. Maybe you're smarter than me. I don't know. But I think there's only so many ways that a person can shepherd sheep. There's, o- there's only so many hillsides and pastures that you can lead a sheep to. Right? And I think it's this. It, it's, it's here in monotony that David learned to be faithful in the menial, insignificant, routine, regular, unexciting, uneventful daily task of life. He learned to be faithful. Right? That, that it was through this endless hours of constant, unchanging, tired monotony that David learned integrity of heart. And what I mean by that is this, is integrity is never learned when people are watching. Integrity is created and developed in us when nobody's around, nobody's looking, and nobody cares what you do. Right? But the Bible says that David once again led the nation with an integrity of heart. I love that. And I think that it was here that in the monotony of life that David learned how to lead himself before he could lead a nation. I think it's where David learned how to care for someone else's sheep before God could trust him with his sheep. See, and and maybe, and I just kind of said it, but maybe more importantly, it's here the monotony, right? It's not so much what David learned, but it's what God learned, that God learned that he could trust David. Are y'all hearing me today? Isn't that that the thing? There's two sides of this thing. That we live, so many of us come into the kingdom and we struggle greatly with trusting people, right? And a lot of times that's a reflection that we really don't trust God, right? Now, I will say this. The Bible never tells us to trust people. But we can trust the God in people. Amen? And extend lots of grace when they mess up because they're going to mess up. They're going to let you down. So, but, but I think it's this, that that's on one side, but the other side is we prove faithful in the task that he puts before us, uh, that God's just saying, look, can I trust you? Once again, it's David saying this, that, that David is saying, you know what, I, I'm going to do the little things well. Remember what we talked about last week, because he did the little things well, God could trust him with much more. Amen? So, I, I think it's this, that so many Christians today, and you know, and I'm, I'm not exempt from this group man we like mountaintop experiences man we like those power moments where god sweeps in and just wrecks the place and wrecks us right but when we stop and we can really think about it, it's really a culmination of the daily grind of our spiritual practices and our daily task and assignment like work or like school or wherever you're at that guess what that god uses to shape us into the people that god has prepared for his purposes am i making sense you guys and so, and so this, that's why, let me say this, that's why you can't be the Christian that says you love God and you cheat on your taxes. You, you know, that's why you can't be the Christian that, you know, we love God, but man, when the boss says to be at work at this time, I'm always five minutes late. 
or when we halfway do the job, we have to. God sees all of that. And once again, he's using all those things in the monotony to say, man, you, you, know, you know, it's in our prayer life and our word life and our worship and all these things that once again he, he is uh, using to prepare us once again to be a people of his purpose, right? So I want to ask you today, how's your monotony going? How's your monotony? Sounds like a disease. How's your monotony, right? All right, the fourth thing that God used, number one was solitude, two was obscurity, number three was monotony, number four is this, it's reality. It's the challenges of life. I want you to think about this for a moment. Even though David was out in the field enjoying solitude, embracing obscurity, and and excelling in the monotony, right? He wasn't just out there twiddling his thumbs and writing lullabies, all right? What was he doing? He was preparing for his giant, Hopefully you get that. He was preparing for his opportunity. In fact, let me, let me maybe say this. I, I read this kind of going through all this, and I'm not going to say it right, but, but when it comes to the monotony and just the side of just kind of thinking about being out in the field and putting in perspective of David, this guy actually quoted a pilot. We've got a few pilots in the room today. that He said this, that basically being a pilot is basically hours of hours of hours of just boring humdrum, just, just moving along, and then with these few moments of just sheer panic. Right, and, and I think that's the way David's life was. And it's the way a lot of our lives are, is this, is that we go along and it's just, man, the daily process, it's, it's the, the monotonous of life. And, and then what happens is, is a crisis comes or, or a situation comes. And it's how we respond in those moments so often we miss that that's part of the preparation. So I want you to think about this. Remember the day that, that David's dad sent Jesse out with some cheese and some bread, and he, and he said, hey, I want you to go see your brothers on the battlefield, and I want you to check on them, bring me back, tell me how they're doing, but give them this cheese, give them this bread, and obviously he rolls in time, uh, just in time, so on the 40th day, there's Big Ugly again, Goliath, spewing his threats uh, to the Israel army, we know they're shaking in their boots, including the, including the leader, Saul, who should have been the one fighting, long story short, here's this young kid, right, he volunteers and says, hey, I, I got this. And I love the fact that Saul says, basically, like, who are you, man? I'm David, right? Saul says, where have you been? I've been with my father's sheep, right? And then Saul kind of rolls his eyes and says, man, you can't fight this Philistine. You're just a kid. And then listen to what David immediately said. He said this in 1 Samuel 17, 34. He said, your servant was tending his father's sheep. This is how it's a response. Where have you been? Your servant was tending his father's sheep. That solitude, obscurity, and monotony right there. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, that's reality. Are you hearing me today? I went out after him and attacked him, rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Fair enough, right? See, see there's that side that, that, gang, you don't, once again, I've said this plenty of times, but we don't have victories in public before we learn how to have victories in private. He fought that bear. He fought that lion when nobody was around. When he could have been a chicken and ran. Maybe dad won't notice that that one's gone. Right? But, but why? Because once again, here's this young man that learned how to care for something that wasn't his. The kingdom is not ours. Right? We get to partake in it, but it's not ours. It belongs to him. But he cared for the sheep that wasn't his. And so he said, you know what? I'm willing to go fight for that thing. Right? Are you all with me today? So, 
you know, quick question, where did David get this kind of courage? Maybe better yet, not just courage, right? But where did he get this confidence? I think that's what impresses me the most about that story is the confidence that, Jesus, uh, that, that David had. Jesus had it too, but that David had, right? And, and it's simply this. It's his reality grew it into him. You get that? That, that, when, that when he was willing to face and, and not run, but he actually faced the reality in life, it grew him into this great man of God. Okay? And so I want to ask you today, how's your reality? How's your reality? Are you running from stuff? Or are you facing stuff? And, and understand that it's not by might, not by power, but it's by the Spirit of the Lord victory is going to come. And to live with not some confidence in how awesome we are because David stepped on the battlefield that day and it wasn't really in himself. He just knew who God was. In other words, he, he had that practice to knew that, man, uh, that in his human ability as a teenager, no teenager can, can kill a bear. No teenager can kill a lion. But there's something about when the Spirit of God comes upon you to accomplish that, that you understand that I have a history of God showing up in my life because I've been faithful in the monotonous. I've, been, I've walked in the solitude with him. I've lived through obscurity. That when, now when it's time on public stage to do this, guess what? God's going to show up again. Amen? So just kind of wrap this thing up here. You know, all of these great qualities in David's life were developed in him by God himself, once again, by a rare mixture, I'm saying these words again and again, hoping you get them, solitude, obscurity, monotony, and reality. And if I can say it, if you hear anything today, that it was through these four things that David, and this is Chuck Swindoll, I love how he said this, that it was through these four things that David learned how to king it. I love that. That he learned how to king it. And there's something about this. Do we want to be Christians that have a pauper mentality? Or do we want to be kings and priests that God's called us to be? And if we want to be kings and priests and walk in that, that identity, once again, as sons, yes, but as kings, we understand authority. And, and are y'all with me? And priests, understand that. Then guess what? Then I need to be willing to walk the road and embrace the road of solitude, obscurity, monotony, and reality. And, and I need to basically not run from it. Yes? So, so, so do this. Everybody listen, please. I don't care if it's 15 minutes. Find some solitude because it'll grow. Okay? Once again, if, if God is trying to take you through obscurity, quit kicking and fighting against it. You, you know, once again, who cares if people don't know my name? God knows my name. Amen? Listen, that be willing to do the, you know, the monotonous things of life and to do them well. To, do them with, to literally do it with a spirit of excellence. You, you know, I, I, I've said this to you before, but, man, I, I remember when, you know, I had a job one time cleaning churches. And, man, I hated that job. Hated it. I'm not going to lie to you. I hated it, hated it, hated it. There's, there's, um, I don't like cleaning my own toilet, much less one that a few thousand people have went and did what they do in it. Okay? But I had to do it. And, and uh, there's something about... You, you know, cleaning my own mess up in my house. I'm not even that great at that. But, you know, cleaning somebody else's mess up where they went in a room, 40 kids, and they tore the room up. It looks like a hurricane went through it. Uh, you know, that gets kind of old when you have to do that over and over and over again. But, but there was something in my heart that shifted my attitude when I began to think, okay, God, you know, I'm going to begin to clean this room and clean that toilet 
bless God, I can't convert it, but I'm going to clean it, right? So that I'm going to do my best. Man, I'm going to do that to the best of my ability because in my head I thought, man, if Jesus walked in the room today, you know, in this room with these, these third graders are going to be today, is he going to be happy with what he finds? Is, is, it, does it, is it suitable for a king? Right? That's how we approach, approach monotony. The Bible simply says this, that to do all things unto the Lord. So I don't know. I, listen, I didn't plan on saying any of this, but, but if, you know, if you're sitting back and you're wanting a raise and you're wanting a promotion and you're wanting this and that and this and that, um, do monotony well and God will promote you. Right? Because the Bible says promotion doesn't come from the... It comes from the Lord. Amen. Let's go ahead and strip out of our, our minds and our thinking that when God develops a man or woman of God, that he does it in a hurry. God's never in a hurry. Ever. Right? That, that literally the, the making of a man and woman of God is the journey of a lifetime. Right? Uh, you know, I, I've said this to you guys before, but, you know, even this morning in prayer, I was thinking about when I first got here. <laughs> And I had to literally shake my head and go, Quentin, you're so stupid. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Why did you do... And, and, you know, once, I've been walking with Jesus for 21 years, and I do that about every year. I just look back. But, but you know, so on one side, it's really easy to, to beat yourself up. But the other side, the positive side is, man, look where I've grown. Look where God's developed. Look where God's changed. Look where he's broken this. And, and, you know, even this, so often we think about what God strips away from us. But, man, look what God's added to my life. Right? And I'm not talking about blessings. I'm talking about character and, and you know, humility. All those things that you go, man, Jesus, thank you. Right? But, but to do that, you have to embrace the solitude. You have to embrace obscurity. And you have to embrace monotony. And you have to embrace reality. You can't run from it. Amen? Amen. I want to... So let's pray and, uh, and we'll dismiss. Jesus, I thank you today for your people. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to embrace, God, your process and your training in our lives. Father, it's true that you've called everyone of Serain, God, in, on this earth and this season and this now. God, that you've given every one of us a authority, that you've given every one of us an anointing. God, that you've given every one of us gifts to walk in. Uh, but Lord, we're just asking today in Jesus' name that you would give us the courage to embrace God, your training methods. God, that you would give us the courage, God, to live in the solitude and to carve out time to be with you. God, that you would give us the courage, God, to just uh, be willing to be unknown and unapplauded and underappreciated and all those things, God, that you would allow us to live in obscurity well. God, I'm asking today for all of us in Jesus' name, God, that you would help us to do the monotonous things, God, for your glory. God, I pray today in Jesus' name that you would help us to face realities instead of to run from it. God, when lions and bears show up on our doorsteps, God, help us to, to tap into the Spirit and, God, to go to war as you've called us to go to war and not be chickens and run. And so, Lord, today as your people, we just say, God, we embrace the process. God, develop us. Grow us up. Grow us up. Grow us up. Grow us up, God, so we can be men and women of God that you choose God, for your glory. God, that you prepare for your purpose in this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram for encouragement in your walk with God and to receive updates on events happening at The Anchor. Have a great week and God bless.